everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 88 of the John Riley Project. Today is Wednesday, October 30th, 2019. We are broadcasting as we always do from the city in the country, Poway, California. And this is a podcast. I'm telling you, this is a podcast about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. I know some of you are watching on YouTube. Thanks a lot. Some are listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all the popular podcast platforms were there as well. So really appreciate your support. Uh, we've been actually really experiencing a nice boost right now in our downloads and in our views on on um, social media and in YouTube and on the podcast platforms. Really appreciate your support. Thank you so much. Hey, we're going to talk today um, about a couple of things. We're going to talk about the gig economy and and Lyft and some of the interesting things they're doing. We're going to talk about Twitter and some interesting news with Twitter that's just happened. Um, some fun things about the Padres. Uh, so lots of things we're going to get into. Um, I just got back. It's, ac- it's actually kind of late. It's about 11 o'clock right now on Wednesday night. And I'm kind of cranking out this podcast before I hit the sack because uh, I was this evening um, at the last minute, I got some free tickets to go to the UC San Diego um, basketball game at San Diego State University. And, you know, UC San Diego, that's my alma mater. You know, I love my my Tritons. Um, they're going to be contending for the Division II National Championship. They got a great squad and they're going to be moving up to D1 next year. So I can't be more excited than, than that. And then meanwhile, the Aztecs, which have been our, you know, our local big time D1 program and have been following them pretty closely since they hired Steve Fisher in 1999. So I wanted to check out the new look Aztecs. They got a lot of new recruits and I had a great time at the game. Um, it was a light crowd and it was an exhibition game, not really a regular season, but the Aztecs look good. I'll tell you what. And um, those new new players they have are very, very talented. Um, UCSD, you know, they, they struggled at times, um, but they're not going to typically face um, schools as good as the Aztecs. But the greatest thing was after, um, not the greatest, but one of the great things is as I was leaving the arena at Viejas Arena um, in the concourse around the out, the outdoors, like kind of near the concession stand, they had televisions. And there was a huge crowd um, huddled around the TV because it was game seven of the World Series. And it was the bottom of the ninth inning when I walked out, which was wonderful. And the Washington Nationals were up 6-2 on the Astros and the Nationals closed it out. And everyone there was huge supporters of the Washington Nationals because of Steven Strasburg, who had a great uh, playoff postseason went 5 and 0 and I just found out that he was given the um the award for the most valuable player of the World Series and this is on um coming after Kawhi Leonard another Aztec alumni um was named the NBA Finals MVP so gee whiz San Diego State University the Strasburg, MVP of the World Series, Kawhi Leonard, MVP of the NBA Finals. I mean, the Aztecs are feeling good about themselves right now. Uh, but it was a really, it was a really fun evening, and I'm glad I went. I ended up missing part of Game Seven. I caught the first half of the game before the basketball game started, but I had a fun time. So, um, still kind of fired up, got some energy. I wanted to get this podcast to share with you. Um, yeah, so we're talking, you know, this podcast, Life Liberty. And the pursuit of happiness. And so when I talk about liberty, you know, what I'm talking about are the freedom, all right, the freedom to live your life according, on your own terms. I, I talk about entrepreneurism and free trade and, and having that 
the ability to choose in your life uh, the path that you want to take. And we see a great example of this with um, the company Lyft, L-Y-F-T, Lyft. This is the other um, popular ride-sharing uh, company, a competitor of Uber, this sort of gig economy in the taxi world. Um, and so great piece of news came out about Lyft, and they are offering free rides so people can go to job interviews. And what a wonderful program I think this is. And I read this. It was a great headline. And and um, it's been getting a lot of traction out there in social media, a lot of readership about this story. It's a really good, feel-good story. And I'm thinking, hey, this is a... This is a great um, PR piece for Lyft to promote their brand, especially coming after, um, you know, some of the uh, anti-gig economy legislation that just happened here in California, which I'm going to comment a little bit more on. Um, But it's a great story. And so it's called the Jobs Access Program. And what they're trying to do is close the transportation gap, specifically in low-income communities. And this rideshare company is partnering with national and local organizations, including the National Down Syndrome Society and the United Way, to offer this program for free rides to job interviews in over 35 markets in the United States and Canada. And according to Lyft, they said for the unemployed, reliable transportation to a job interview or to the first few weeks of work can mean the difference between successful long-term employment and lost opportunities. Ah, this is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful what they're doing here. And, you know, in the whole scheme of things, you know, this is a tiny fraction of the number of of rides they're going to be giving. And this tiny fraction they're doing for free. It's a it's a wonderful community service to offer. At the same time, it's a great PR opportunity, a great marketing opportunity, a great way to differentiate themselves from Uber and other other platforms. Um, I I think this is just wonderful across the board. And one of the things I've talked about is the plight that some of our friends that are in the low income categories and the challenges they face. And, you know, we've all been there or many of us have been there. I've certainly been there when, you know, you're just scraping by. I mean, you've just got a couple of nickels in your pocket. Your bank account is, you know, it's probably somewhere south of a hundred dollars and you're not sure how you're going to make it to your next paycheck. If you aren't employed, you're not sure how you're going to make it to next week. Sometimes people, you know, they have a car, uh, it breaks down and then suddenly they don't have transportation. They can't afford to have it fixed. People get in these pickles. I mean, there's even other crazier cases where, you know, a person might make a mistake and maybe they park their car illegally. Then suddenly the car is towed. It goes into an impound lot. Then they don't have the money to get their car out of hock. They don't have money to pay the ticket. There's a lot of people that are living on the edge. And, you know, a fine, a bad mistake um, could literally throw them off the edge and into kind of a spiral um, of challenges. And this can totally disrupt a person trying to get a job. I mean, imagine if suddenly your car's broken down, your car's been impounded. Now you can't get to that job interview, or if you have the job, you can't get to the job. So 
Sometimes these are um, unfortunate things that happen, bad luck. Other cases, it's you know government policy that traps these people in poverty that has these onerous um, fines that are just disproportionately huge for really minor infractions. We've seen that in a lot of cities around the United States. So um, I think what Lyft is doing is they're lifting people up. I mean, it kind of goes right with their name. So uh, this is just a great thing. And this is, you know, coming um, on the heels of the, uh, the, po- the policy that was just passed here in the state of California where um, – they were coming down on the gig worker economy, particularly against Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash were really the three companies that were highly targeted by Governor Gavin Newsom here in California and the um, democratically controlled legislature up in Sacramento. And, you know, I did a podcast, you know, condemning them for that because um, – it's it's a violation of liberty is what it is. You know, this is the podcast, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. It's preventing people from engaging with employers or, or um, uh, you know, rideshare dispatchers, essentially. It's, it's getting in the way of allowing individual people to choose on how they want to engage in employment, how they want to conduct business. Um, and they... The the story, of course, from the politicians is that they were trying to stand up for the worker. But in reality, what they're doing is they're tearing down opportunities for those workers. A lot of these workers like driving for Lyft and for Uber and for DoorDash because it gives them so much flexibility for additional income. And a lot of these cases are being shut down. I mean, this is an attack on entrepreneurship, um, you know, and and I think the gig economy is just it's a beautiful thing. Because it allows people to have more control over their schedule and a better work-life balance and flexibility to turn on and turn off additional sources of income. Um, I just think it's a great thing. And when they came after really these three companies, it was interesting when you look at the the, the fine print in that legislation, there were a they say they were really trying to protect the gig workers, but what they ended up doing is they made exemptions to the law in all of these other uh, business categories where they allowed the gig economy, the independent contractor economy to, to function, but only in these narrow niches um, like Uber and Lyft, they're the ones that are being attacked. And it's it makes you wonder like really what's the motivation here because you know these government entities they're they're making money from all those medallions that they they sell to the taxi cabs which are essentially permits that let the taxi cabs drive in their particular cities and now they're um you know they're getting competition from Lyft and Uber and even from DoorDash um you know, that it, it makes it look like they're trying to, you know, protect one particular niche at the expense of another. They're trying to protect the taxi cab industry um, at the expense of um, the, the gig workers. And so um, I just think this is terribly unfair. And so when I see Lyft doing this by providing these free rides for job interviews and for the first couple of weeks to the job uh, until they get their first paycheck, get on their feet. I, I just think it's nice for them to come back with a really positive message, a really positive PR move. Um, I, I just think it's wonderful. Um, but just to comment one more thing about the uh, the law that was passed here in California that just is remarkable to me is 
you know, there, there are a lot of freelance journalists that are out there and they write articles. Sometimes they're columnists in your local newspaper. Those columnists aren't necessarily employees of the local newspaper, um, but they're just freelancers and they get paid per article. And there's a lot of writers that do that and they like it because they can write articles in one particular category and provide them to a series of publications. They can write articles in other categories. They have control over their schedule, uh, control over their work-life balance. But what happened in this legislation is they said that if you write more than 35 articles per year for any single publication, you're no longer allowed to be freelance. They actually have to hire you as an employee. And then, you know, the companies, sometimes they don't want to do that. And frankly, the freelancers sometimes don't want to be an employee of a company. They don't want to get locked in. They they like to have that flexibility and freedom. But this, this law that was passed, this AB5, um, really is – it's coming after these journalists and we need to be promoting more of this kind of um, journalism from independent writers. And the, you know, local journalism is something that we're seeing erode very rapidly. Um, And laws like this only continue to chip away at it. Um, You know, we talk a, a lot about the issue of democracy and we hear a lot of that, from uh, people on the left of the political spectrum and even people on the right of the political spectrum. We're seeing democracy under attack. But one of the core um, pillars of democracy, of a democratically run nation, is to have a strong press, a press that is free to be able to speak their mind without being um, you know, essentially thrown in the gulag for writing articles that the government doesn't want. So when... The, when they're passing these laws that restrict the flexibility of independent journalists to write articles, I think that's, frankly, a, a further erosion of this ideal of a democratic society. Um, so, uh, again, I'm troubled by all this. I really am. Um, but I, I'm just digging what Lyft did. And, and I just want to go a little further with this. The gig economy... You know, and when we talk about the gig economy, these are independent contractors. This means that they're essentially their own business. Okay, they they don't they're not a full time employee or even a part time employee. They they get paid an hourly rate or they get paid on a per project basis. The people that are working in the gig economy, they're taking advantage of so much opportunity that exists out there right now. You know, with with the internet, there's an explosion of very interesting opportunities to do freelance work, to create your own small business, to have this incredible flexibility. So you're not locked into a nine to five desk job, you know, which for some people is the bane of their existence. That frame of mind where you're working in a 40 hour a week job, punching in, punching out. I mean, obviously that still exists to a great degree, but now you don't have to play that game. You now have the ability 
to do a lot of very creative things uh, by embracing this gig economy. And frankly, that's what I do. Um, I I started up my own business. I have an S corporation and I do work for clients um, on a project basis, but I also do consulting work for clients and I get paid hourly for that. And so I'm able to have flexibility and control over my schedule. And it gives me the flexibility um, when my children are younger, I was able to go to their ball games. In many cases, I coached their teams. Or if there was a school performance, I had the flexibility to go to that. I, I wasn't working for the man, so I didn't have to go begging for permission to get time off. I was in charge of my time. I took time off as I wanted. And then what I would do is I work later in the evening um, to make up for that time. And it was all according to my own terms. Um, and I was empowered by this. Um, I didn't have to ask permission of my boss to get time off. I mean, how many times have you ever asked your boss for permission for time off and been denied and been denied of being able to go to an important family event? It's, it's tragic. So the gig economy, in my opinion, is a huge boon, a huge opportunity for people to really make something of themselves. Um, you know, it's never been easier to do this sort of thing because the internet allows different people to connect, you know, finding those gigs opportunities, you know, back in the 1970s was difficult. Um, but now with the internet, so many things are possible where people can connect and serve and help one another and then transact beautifully um, and be paid on a project basis, be paid on an hourly basis. Um, but sometimes I wonder why, why more people are not fully embracing it. And I think sometimes people might have a bit of a fear. They're maybe afraid to go into business for themselves. They may be afraid to think that they don't really have what it takes. But you know what? If you are working in any industry, you're building skills. Those are skills that you're learning on the job that your employer is training you to, to learn. Um, maybe these are skills that you learned in trade school. Maybe these are skills you learned on your own. Maybe these are skills you learned in college. As you build those skills, you become a lot more marketable. And then you can provide those skills on a consulting basis, on a freelance basis to other companies and make dramatically more money on an hourly basis than you otherwise would as an employee. So again, sometimes I think it just, it's a, it's a change in the frame of mind. Um, and it's an opening of people's eyes to see what really is possible. Um, I mean, Think about a minimum wage worker. And we've all been there. <laughs> I work for minimum wage. I know everyone's worked for minimum wage just about. And, you know, at that particular time, you know, you, you might have skills. Maybe you don't have many. Maybe you're really young and you're just getting your foot uh, in the door and you're getting started. Uh, for some people, maybe they've experienced some bad luck and they had trouble finding another job. And the only job they could find was minimum wage. But you know what? There's a lot of people that complain about the minimum wage and it's not high enough. And, you know, should it be $11 an hour, 13 hours? Should it be $15 an hour? And there's a lot of debate about that. But 
people are worth a lot more than that. And I think if you look inward into yourself and if you have a strong work ethic, if you have skills that you've developed, you're worth way more than that. You are. In fact, I I tell this to people all the time, and this is along the lines of this idea of believing in yourself. You're better than you think you are. And, and, and I really believe that. Now, obviously, there are some people that have overinflated opinions of themselves, but they're the exception. For the most part, you know, we tend to, as humans, not have as much confidence in ourselves. We sometimes worry. Maybe we think, we look at other people and think, oh, they're better and I'm not as good. But you know what? We're better than, than we sometimes think we are. And when you're in a position where you're being kind of pigeonholed into a low wage opportunity, you don't have to settle for that. You know why? Because there's all these other opportunities in the marketplace and the gig economy is part of that. So you don't have to settle for that. Um, You don't have to react to the world around you. You need to be proactive. And if you're proactive and you seize the day, seize your life, take control you will be amazed at how much is available to you. And I wrote a blog post about this not too long ago. Um, and it was the seven steps to take control of your life and of your schedule. And step number one was be proactive. And it was interesting is in the blog article, I talk about, um, again, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In, in the Declaration of Independence, it says that we each have an inalienable right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the, the part about life means is that we have a right to our own life. Our life is ours. Our life is ours to live and to manage as we see fit, provided we're not harming anyone else. So that means is that we should take control of our lives and put together a plan. So whether you're a low-wage worker, a medium-wage worker, a high-wage worker, are you building a plan? What's your plan for 2020? Do you have a plan for the final two months of this year? What are you working on? What projects are you working on to make yourself better, to expand opportunities? Um, There's a ton that's available out there. So um, it's interesting. Just just today, I was out at lunch and was out to lunch with my my partner, Zeke. I've talked about Zeke before. He young man and um, he helps me um, with video production. We brainstorm together on this podcast project. We've got a lot of great ideas that we're working on, which are kind of cooking in the oven right now. And we'll hopefully roll out. And this is part of our 2020 plan. Um, and we were talking about this today and he was telling me that he was listening to, to Dave Ramsey. Do you know who Dave Ramsey is? He's a, he's a radio talk show guy and he's, he's a, um, a personal finance guy. And I, I've listened to him off and on for a long time. He's been on the radio, gee whiz, I think since the 1980s, maybe even earlier than that. He's been around a long time. And um, I was surprised that Zeke was listening to him because, you know, he's Zeke is in his early to mid 20s. And he, he said it was like his grandmother's CD collection. And he's been listening to a book on CD that he wrote and learning just some really great timeless principles um, in personal finance. But anyways, one of them is, is that you have to have multiple streams of income. You can't depend on any single one person of income because if that source of income dries up, 
you're toast. You've got nothing, you know? So we need to have multiple sources of income. And that's part of why this gig economy is so important. Uh, because if we happen, if we only have one source and that that job is lost, that company has a layoff, that company goes under, we have to be able to you know, grab a hold of other sources of income and seamlessly transition to those new opportunities. Um, but, you know, for the gig economy, I, th- I again, I think especially if you're in a pickle, like let's say, you know, you're in debt and you want to climb out of debt. Imagine taking on that second job and, w- with a gig work and working, you know, three or four nights a week and there's using that money just to put exclusively to debt to pay that down. That's a plan. That's a way to take control of your life. Um, or what if you want to save for a trip or maybe you want to save to uh, create a down payment on a new car or maybe you want to save just so you can have uh, an emergency fund in the bank so you can have peace of mind. The gig economy gives you that ability. You can work your day job, you know, just to pay the bills. But that gig economy um, opportunity you know, whether you're a driver for Uber or whatever you're doing, maybe you're an artist, maybe you're a graphic designer and you work and do um, create logos or do web development on the side and you can make a great deal more money. You'd be surprised. Um, The hourly rate that a person working on a freelance basis or on a consulting basis is easily two to three times what the regular rate would be if they were paid as an employee. In some cases, much, much more than that, Um, depending on how the deal is constructed, you know, whether you're being paid on an hourly rate or being paid on a project rate. So there's just a ton of great opportunities. Um, This is why I was just so disappointed with the, the AB5 bill that was, you know, passed here in California by Governor Gavin Newsom signed it and the, um, the legislature in Sacramento passed it. So, um, we got to fight against this sort of thing. And I know that Uber, Lyft and DoorDash, they're coming together and they're going to really they're putting a lot of money into this to fight back. Um, we need to support them. We need to support uh, the opportunity for people to choose what kinds of employment opportunities they want, because the gig economy empowers the worker. The gig economy empowers the individual. Um, it's a beautiful thing. And so we need to be able to, um, we have to support them. And I, I think it's so important because like I said, the gig economy provides opportunities for people that are struggling to flip on a switch and turn on a new revenue stream and, uh, be able to dig their way out of debt and be able to escape that notion of living on the edge, which we talked about earlier and, and, a, and a tip of the hat to our friends at Lyft for providing those free rides. Um, but, it, you know, speaking of Lyft, I, I saw this other article and I it was interesting how these everything's sort of linked. You know, it's kind of like Catherine Cloward when she was here. She was like, everything's connected to everything else. And this is another really interesting article that I saw that involved Lyft. And it was. The headline was that Uber and Lyft um, hurt the ridership of mass transit. And I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. And, you know, because here in San Diego, they're they're talking about putting in um, 
um, more trolleys or light rail or you know high speed rail, um, and they're also talking about doing more buses and and this has been a controversial piece here in San Diego County. Um, but there's also been recent articles that, with the exception of the city of Seattle, most of the major metropolitan areas are seeing a decrease in the ridership on mass transit. And so here I'm paying attention to this. I think this whole argument about mass transit's interesting. And, um, and then here it's Uber and Lyft. And so I, it caught my attention. And so what's, what's going on here is in the city of Chicago, in the mayor's proposed 2020 budget, the existing city fees on a single rider Uber and Lyft trip will increase. So essentially what they're doing is they're, they're increasing taxes on Uber and Lyft, um, on Uber and Lyft trips. And again, so you see what's happening is the government entities keep attacking Uber and Lyft. Um, and the mayor, um, said he uh, he announced it in his in his budget release and and he said that he's not a fan of the ride hailing services and in the mayor's speech he stated that Uber and Lyft trips in Chicago have increased by 271% from 2015 to 2018 this statistic comes from the city's public data on transportation network providers which includes Uber Lyft and Via in April information on registered drivers where trips began and ended and how much riders tipped was released as part of the database. And they discovered four things. So here are the four trends the mayor's office detailed in their recent report. Uber and Lyft have completed more miles and completed more trips every year. Okay, well, think about the number one thing. That means people are choosing it. People want it. This is what the the individual um, people that need a ride they're not calling taxis. They're not going to mass transit. They just call Uber or Lyft because they like it. And you know what? The drivers are available. They like it too. Um, so he's essentially angry that people are choosing something that he doesn't like. Um, and then the second major trend, he said, is that ride hailing services worsen congestion in areas that already have terrible traffic. Well, I hear you. And, and that's that that makes sense. But what would these workers be doing otherwise? A lot of them would probably be driving themselves in their regular car, you know. So one way or the other, there is a lot of traffic. But and, and this is something and I'm going to go a little bit of a tangent here is we're, you know, Andrew Yang talks about this, that we're in the fourth major industrial revolution in American history. And he's right. Uber and Lyft and these sort of um, uh, ride sharing plans is just the first phase of this. And what we're going to begin to see very soon are going to be autonomous driving cars. And these are going to be cars that um, we're, are going to be electronically controlled, computer controlled, and they're going to be able to maneuver and sense where the other cars are and then be more efficient in how they travel. When that, when that technology is fully implemented, it's going to reduce congestion dramatically because think about it. When you're on a freeway, you ever notice sometimes that you'll be on a freeway and you'll drive for a while and then you'll stop and then you'll drive for a while and then you'll stop when it's heavy traffic. It's this slinky effect. 
And it's because human drivers are imperfect. Human drivers will accelerate or decelerate, or they'll be looky-loos and rubberneckers looking at an accident. And these kinds of imperfections, these inefficiencies in the way these people drive create this traffic congestion. Now imagine instead that all of those vehicles were communicating amongst themselves and were able to move almost like a swarm of bees and they were able to efficiently travel as a pack and then a couple can branch off here or there where they need to go. You could see dramatically more efficient, uh, uh, more efficient vehicle transportation once these cars go autonomous. And then imagine, take it a step further, they're electric vehicles, and then there would be virtually no impact on climate. So the, we're in, the, in the, this middle of this transition phase and that Andrew Yang has identified, and he talks a lot about autonomous driving, not just of cars, but also trucks. Um, I think this is a wonderful thing. I mean, he, he sees it as a kind of a fearful thing. I think it's a great thing to provide more efficient transportation and to reduce the congestion. So the mayor here, he said the ride hailing services worsen congestion areas that already have terrible traffic. That might be true temporarily, but I think overall you're, we're going to see that go down. The third trend that he identified is that ride hailing usage peaks during morning and evening rush hours. Well, Duh, of course, you know, it's going to peak then because that's when people travel. And then the fourth thing he said, as Uber and Lyft have surged in popularity, Chicago's public transportation has suffered since 2015. The the CTA, which I guess is the Chicago Transportation Agency, I'm assuming, has lost 48 million rides annually, even as it sinks millions into renovations upgrades and new stations. So you see what what's happening here is the 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 government, you know, central planners that want to create this utopian uh, transportation system all have this love affair with light rail and with mass transit. And I often question it. I often think that's like a 19th or 20th century solution for a 21st century reality. And they're, they're distressed because they're seeing less ridership because, you know, they bank on, on building these giant infrastructure projects as a way to, um, as, as a way to attract donors to their campaign because all these construction companies, these development companies want those big contracts. They're the ones that support these political candidates. And then these um, politicians want to be able to have legacy and say that they were the ones that created this new light rail system. But right now what, what's happening all across the United States, with the exception of maybe Seattle, ridership on mass transit is going down. And it's because of a lot of reasons. But one of them is, is that people don't like using it. You know, maybe it doesn't get them from where they want to go. I mean, it doesn't mass transit doesn't get you from door to door like a car will, like a like a Uber or a Lyft will, like a taxi will. Um, Mass transit will get you from a stop to another stop. But you have to then take additional forms of transportation to get beyond that um, or get to that stop in the first place. So people... um, the beauty in a freer market is it gives people the flexibility to choose, and it also gives innovators the opportunity to come up with better models. And I think that's what Uber and Lyft are doing. Um, but 
you know, political leaders are are mortified because they want to spend gazillions of dollars on infrastructure. And we're seeing that here in San Diego County with what Sandag wants to do. They want to spend huge money to build more um, light rail and, and have these, you know, high speed uh, um, trains going up the center of the 15 freeway and the center of the five freeway and and. I'm thinking, yeah, hold on a minute, folks. We don't need to be raising taxes and sinking more money into this when the alternative is, is that in the 21st century, we should be thinking about, you know, again, these autonomous vehicles, which I think are going to be like it's swarm driving. It's highly um, efficient and coordinated and synchronized driving, I think, is going to make a big difference. And the other part of it is this notion of work at home, telecommuting. Because of technology, we have less people on the road, period, because they could just commute from their bedroom to their office and walk down the hallway wherever they happen to live. That creates huge opportunity. And as more people are maybe embracing gig economy work and being, being self-employed entrepreneurs, they can work from home. They don't have to commute 30, uh, 30 miles, 40 miles into downtown to work at their job. So we need to be thinking about these other ways to more innovatively embrace what's happening in the 21st century rather than looking backwards um, at this love affair with trains. Um, but these um, these politicians struggle with that. So um, the data presented in this report serves to justify a change in structure to ride hailing fees. While the conclusions aren't surprising, the numbers quantify a problem that could continue to grow without changes to ride hailing services, streets and public transport, public transit. By adding the highest fee to single rider trips in a designated downtown area, the mayor's administration hopes to eliminate some of the congestion. So what he wants to do is he wants to come after people that are choosing something that he doesn't like. And he wants to do it by increasing taxes on the transportation. He wants to make it less efficient. And then he wants to force people into the model that he likes rather than letting people choose the model that they like. See, this is why this podcast is about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The liberty part, we need to empower people to make their own choices rather than these um, central planner government officials making our choices for us. And that's what we're seeing here. So, um, wow, so much here. So, you know, tip of the hat to lift um, and dig in the, the gig economy. And if you are in need of more cash, if you are in need of greater opportunity, there's a great world out there for you. And it's not just necessarily being a driver for DoorDash, Lyft, or Uber, but that in and of itself is maybe a nice additional income. But way beyond that, open your mind. The world of freelance, the world of self-employment, you could be making a ton more money and not have to commute, not have to punch in at nine and punch out at five by having more freedom, more control over your schedule, more of a life-work balance. I'm telling you, the opportunities are huge right now in the economy if we can open up our minds to this and if we can get these political leaders to actually embrace the new reality. Okay, so enough of that. Um, I want to switch gears here a little bit. 
uh, talking Padres. And, you know, we, we did a podcast here like a week ago with uh, David Leland, and he's my favorite sports guy here in, uh, in our community. He's, he's here in Poway in the city where I live. This young man's extraordinary. He's just a wealth of information um, and statistics and hot takes on a variety of topics. And we broke down the whole Jace Tingler hiring by the Padres. And as a matter of fact, they're going to be making their formal announcement on Thursday of this week on Halloween is uh, when the Padres are doing it. And they obviously waited until after the World Series, which makes sense. I get that. But the, the interesting part about this that is we saw in the social media um, official posts that the Padres are already transitioning to their new color scheme. And they're not slated to actually make their formal Roll out of these new uniforms um, until November 9th. And you know what they've already said, they're going to be switching to the brown, the brown and the gold. And I am just ecstatic um, as a Padre fan, as a marketing guy. I love it um, because, um, you know, the, my whole take on this is, is right now the Padres are like blue and white or blue and gray. And there's like a million teams in Major League Baseball that have that color scheme. You know, Seattle, Milwaukee, um, even the, 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 the Devil Rays, or they're not even called the Devil Rays anymore. The, the Tampa Rays um, have that to a certain degree. Um, the Padres tend to get, they blend into the background with those colors. But when they wear their browns, which they, they've been doing the last few years on Friday nights at home, they are distinct and special and separate from all other 29 teams. And I love that. And the brown you know what? I mean, the brown uniforms got a little goofy here in the 80s, and I think that's what turned people off to it. But brown can be done very, very well. Brown can be a very beautiful color. And if you're talking about the Friars, the Padres, I mean, that's what the Franciscan priests would wear with these brown robes. So love that they're going back to the brown. And there's been a big movement, and and really the fans, I think, convinced the ownership to make that switch, and they resisted it for a long time. But anyways, coming back to this, in the social media posts on Twitter and Facebook, we saw that they were showcasing the brown and gold um, palette in the graphics of this announcement um, of Jace Tingler as the general manager. And it's interesting, the the brown is now going to be very dark, a lot darker than the original brown. And the yellow is more golden rather than yellow. And I think this is great. So, um, you know, some of the prototype uniforms that were suggested by some of the fans had brown kind of like as a almost like a pinstripe in times or like the undersleeve. I think this is going to be great. I'm really excited. I mean, but the brown was almost black. It was that dark. Um, and I think that's great. It's not kind of the, forgive me for saying this, the poopy brown, um, which I think is part of the reason some people didn't like the color. But I think I, I'm really looking forward to this um, announcement on November 9th when they roll out the uniforms because I think they're going to be really special. They have a chance to be distinct um, and and separate, but also special. Um, they could have their own unique look and hopefully they look great and hopefully they'll be timeless and will continue for many, many decades. Um, but the other part of it that was funny is that in the graphic is they showed Jace Tingler and, 
you know, when a, when a player signs with another team, usually the artists, the graphics people will get creative and put, they'll superimpose the, the hat of the new team um, in the announcement. So it looks like he's wearing the, the, you know, the new team's hat. But in the announcement for Jace Tingler, they still had him wearing the Texas Rangers hat because he was a coach for them. And it looked kind of weird. Like this is the Padre announcement. He should be wearing a Padre hat. And so some people on on Twitter first started, you know, doing their own Photoshop in, in Padre's Twitter, which is this really great active community of Padre fans on Twitter. And they were putting the Padre hat on, you know, which I thought was great. But then people started taking these crazy extremes and had every possible goofy hat, goofy like wig put on him. And people had a ton of fun. So if you're into this sort of thing, I encourage you to check out, um, I, I say Padre Twitter, but there are certain people that are very, very active, um, certain handles there. But I, I think um, if you look around, ha- do, just do a hashtag search on Padres and you'll see a lot of it in Twitter. I think it's fabulous. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this announcement on Thursday of uh, Jace Tingler. And I think a lot of us were always wondering, what are they going to do? Because whenever they have a player or a manager, you know, they'll show up for the press conference, you know, often wearing like, a suit and tie or, you know, looking more professional, maybe business oriented. And then usually when they're announced, they kind of put a jersey over the dress shirt. People are wondering what what jersey are they going to use? Because they can't show the jersey that they're going to be announcing on November 9th. Are they going to show the old one or are they just not going to do it at all? So that'll be fun to see how they handle that. But anyways, I love the fact that the Padres are going back to the Brown because that's going to make them special. And so when you're out and about on a Friday night and you're at a bar or a restaurant and you look up at the TV and there's a blur of ball games going on, when you see the Brown team, boom, you're going to know those are the Padres and we're going to be distinct and special. So really looking forward to that. Okay. Um, wow. Here, here's another, another interesting piece of news. Um, and it's about Twitter and Twitter now you know, speaking of Twitter, we just talked about Twitter with the whole Padres thing here. Um, Twitter is going to ban political ads. This was just announced today. And if you listen to my podcast, my last podcast, today is number 88. So podcast 87, um, we talked about that whole, you know, the, the battle, you know, where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, took apart Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook. Maybe you saw some of those clips um, where she was attacking um, Zuckerberg uh, for not having a policy to fact check uh, political ads, paid political ads. And I, I, I just thought it was ridiculous because she was condemning Facebook for not doing the fact checking when it's really the politicians themselves that are the ones that are doing the lying. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez should look at what she's saying and look at what her colleagues are saying. That's where the problem is, is with lying politicians, not with companies, whether or not they fact check. I mean, heck, if political ads had to be fact checked, there would be no political ads because they all lie to varying degrees. Um, so anyways, after that happened, this was just last week, and um, Zuckerberg got a lot of heat. He didn't handle it very well. He didn't really stand up to them, and I wish he would have. I mean, I wish he would have just said, hey, 
we're going to run our business the way we want. We're a private company. There's freedom of speech. And, you know, we're going to run our own policy. And in some cases, we are going to block political ads, like if people are advertising a false date for an election. But we can't possibly police every single one of these things because it becomes subjective. I mean, how often do you see that in the political discourse that one side will say something as a fact and the other side will say that's a lie? And then sometimes it's a distortion or it's a a spin. How are they going to be able to um, judiciously go through that and be objective? It's going to be extremely difficult. It's frankly an impossible task um, to fact check every paid political ad uh, because they have to have certain standards and they're going to let some get through that maybe aren't truthful. And it just opens up this whole problem. So what's interesting is, is that you know, a lot of the politicians were hoping that Zuckerberg would shut down paid political ads in Facebook. Of course, they like that because they're eliminating one of the um, opportunities for challengers, for upstarts, for um, competitors to try to get their message out and advertising on Facebook is extremely powerful. By the way, if you've never done it before, it's unbelievably inexpensive relative to a lot of other advertising. And you can be extremely focused and you can target your zip codes just to, uh, excuse me, target your message just to unique zip codes or portions of zip codes. You can also um, target just very unique niches based on a wide variety of demographic profiles and um, be highly, highly efficient with your marketing spend. And Um, So I I think Facebook advertising is a great thing for business in general. Um, I've been doing some of it promoting this podcast, but I think for politicians, it's a great thing, too, to get their message out um, because it's so expensive, so difficult. And now they're being, you know, they're pressuring Facebook to shut off the political ads. Well, now what Twitter has done, they stepped forward and they said, we're just going to ban them all. And and they tried to take sort of the high road on this. And they said, you know, paid advertising for business is very effective and it's a good way for businesses to get the word out. But with political ads, we've got to be extra careful and really political ads need to be um, need to be, how should I say, propagated based on their own merit. So they basically want political ads to be organic where people will post them. and then they will be shared organically, virally, but not boosted by throwing money at it and actually boosting that. And so, I don't know, I, I thought this was weak, too. And it, it seems to me this was a kind of a an appeasement of the idea. And there are definitely a lot of people that are very much in favor of what AOC wants to do is to not only fact check this, but I think there's a lot of people who like to see this banned completely. I mean, there's some people that, you know, they're just angry at all the politicians and there's people that are angry about paid ads in general. Um, So Twitter took a proactive move. Now, this is interesting. This is coming on the heels of them making their, I think it was their Q3 announcement on earnings and it was way less than they expected. And, you know, they're kind of battling that. And now they've, they're voluntarily cutting off a revenue stream, which is shocking. Um, so, uh, I mean, you know, Twitter is a private company and they can do what they want. I mean, this whole notion of freedom of speech, that doesn't apply in this case. Freedom of speech is only 
to protect people from the government regulating their speech. But if a company wants to wants to ban ads from certain categories, that's up to them. Um, but I I um I still think you know it's going to be very very difficult to police because they're probably going to still accept some paid ads that some people might say are political. And I mean, think about this. Like for me, I, I'm I'm not a politician. But I talk about politics. And if I like just recently, I, we did the podcast where we went down to the um, protesters here in Poway at the intersection of Twin Peaks and Pomerado Road. Remember, we talked about they had the, the Trump supporters on one corner and the anti-Trump people there. And I went and interviewed them and they were talking about. Trump this and Trump that, positive Trump, negative Trump. I tried to be as balanced as I could. I talked to the spokesperson from each side of the street. Well, could I run an ad boosting that post? You know, that because that, I you know, all my podcast episodes, I put them on Facebook, I put them on Twitter. Could I then pay to broadcast that message? Would it be considered a political ad? Good question. Um, I'm not a politician. I'm not running for an office. I think I should be able to do that. Now, granted, Twitter can do what they want. It's their own company. But these are the kinds of things that's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Um, so these kinds of things, that I think in general, we have to be careful, especially if, if these companies are banning the political ads, the paid political ads, from pressure from the government itself, because that's indirectly. If the government is applying pressure, then indirectly, that's that's an abridgment of the First Amendment, uh, because the government should not be banning speech. Um, the government should not be in the business of deciding what kind of speech is allowed or not allowed. Um, so, uh, be. And in this particular case, when you're talking about politicians, as I said earlier, it it damages, it protects the incumbents and it damages the challengers because the, the incumbents already have a huge advantage. They have name recognition. They've been in office for a certain period of time. The media usually follows them around and writes articles about them. And so in you know challengers, they're trying to do anything they can to get their name out and to get their story out. And then to see some of these cases where they're being shut down, I think is a shame. And um, when companies do this, they're protecting themselves. I understand that. But in many ways, they're harming the whole process. Now, this is actually just an interesting tangent on this about banning political advertising. We saw that here in my city of Poway. And in fact, San Diego does this as well, um, where political signs are banned if they're put into the public right of way. Um, and the city of San Diego has banned them for a long time. Poway used to allow them, and then now they ban them. And in my opinion, that's even worse than Twitter or Facebook banning them because those are private companies. They can do what they want. But the government should be promoting free speech, shouldn't be trying to shut down speech. Um, you know, people got angry because there was so much clutter, but that's all part of the process. And I, I, I don't get angry when I see political ads. I know a lot of other people do. Um, some people think, oh, I can't wait for the election to be over. I mean, what, do they want to go back to their hamburger commercials? I mean, there's always going to be ads. Um, 
But but even with the signs that we saw in the cities, I, I just think it's a celebration of democracy. I think it's a celebration of free speech. I think it's a beautiful thing as long as they get cleaned up after the election. And they, they almost always do. There's usually a few exceptions. Um, but I, I think it's a great thing. And so, yeah, the, the policy in, in my town, they, they changed it in tw- after the 2014 election. I wish they wouldn't have. Because, uh, again, I think especially when the politicians are doing it, they're basically protecting themselves. They're protecting their advantage of incumbency and they're making it all the more difficult for challengers to try to unseat them, making it all the more difficult for challengers to get their name out. Okay, so Twitter banning political ads. So we'll keep an eye on that one. Um, well, you know, if you if you made this far in this podcast, thanks, man, and and I really appreciate your support, your help. You know, we've been seeing our um, our viewership on YouTube has been going up. We had a great October, um, lots of views, lots of minutes watched. We broke our goals for the month of October. Really excited about that. And then um, the downloads, uh, we also blew out our goals that we set for the month, and so we've been getting lots of downloads on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify. So thank. Thank you, everybody who's been listening or watching. Um, Please join the conversation. You know, I always post these episodes on Facebook and Twitter, and you can respond. And and I've had some interesting conversations with listeners and viewers. Um, Love that discussion. And this this podcast is all about a community forum. It's all about a civil, rational discussion on the issues. Love hearing from people. If you like what I'm saying, if you dislike what I'm saying, and, and you think I'm wrong, let me know. I, I'd love to hear from you. And we could talk about it. And we may learn from each other. And we may understand the other person's opinion a little bit more. We, we may not agree or we may change minds. Who knows? But I think the conversation is healthy um, when we're able to not only speak about what we believe in, but more importantly, to listen to what other people believe. And I personally get great joy and satisfaction out of that. I mean, I have my own opinions and I have this podcast platform where I share them, but I enjoy listening to the other side um, or the other sides, plural, uh, because it gives me a deeper insight to why people think the way they think and why they believe the way they believe. And sometimes when I peel back the layers, I realize that in some cases, we really believe the same thing. We have the same core values, the same core principles. They've just manifested themselves differently in the kinds of things we want to see in society around us. But by better understanding what other people think and what other people believe, it gives me greater opportunity to find commonality with them and to find overlap. Um, like the classic Venn diagram, those two circles, find cases where we can come together and find agreement. I think that's good. And I think that's how we make our communities and our neighborhoods better is by talking, by listening, and by finding ways to come together. So encourage that conversation on social media. Look me up. My handle on Twitter and on Instagram is John Riley Poway. You can look up my podcast on Facebook, The John Riley Project. Love the conversation there. So look me up. Hey, by the way, if if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. This, this is something I'm really working on is to build the subscribers in YouTube. And we're getting really close to a big goal for us. Uh, so help us get there. 
click on the subscribe button. And we've been making great progress in the last month. And so really trying to to break through and uh, build our subscription base there. That would be really helpful. Um, and hey, please share this podcast with someone. Love if you could. Tell people about it. You know, John Riley, this guy, he lives in Poway. It's in San Diego County. He talks about economic issues. He talks about politics. We talk sports. We talk about electric vehicles and transportation. Um, we talk about entrepreneurship and capitalism and free market economics and the gig economy. Um, we, I just like to cover a lot of topics that I enjoy discussing. And hopefully these are things that you like as well. Um, a lot of times we'll go deep and look at local issues. Like, you know, this one, I'm mostly talking statewide and national issues, but um, sometimes I'll get into unique things here in San Diego County. I speak a lot about things that happen in this Poway Rancho Bernardo, uh, Rancho Penasquitos, Forest Ranch, Carmel Mountain Ranch, Saber Springs area. We'll break down issues there. But I've had podcasts talking about things in Santee and in Oceanside and in Encinitas and then things in downtown San Diego. So I try to cover a lot of more local issues, too. So help me spread the word. We're trying to build the audience and, and have some fun with this. And I think we can make a great impact here. Um Again, encouraging this conversation. And then sometimes it's me on my soapbox like I am now. Other times I enjoy having guests and my interviews I have are just so wonderful. We meet a lot of really great people and I'm working to set up a number of more um, interviews right now. Um, So, wow, we're on episode 88. Can you believe that? So um, we're only like just a handful away from getting to the hundred. And so we get to episode 100. We'll have a big party. I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know who's going to be here, but we'll, we'll make it special. And I think that'll be fun. Um, Okay. uh, Closing quotes. And I'm going to quote Brendan Burchard and, and I, I share his stuff every once in a while on Facebook. Brendan Burchard is a guy that you should know about. Um, He is a, I'll call him an influencer, and I use air quotes around that. He's a motivational speaker. He's an author. He's um, a, a podcaster. Um, he is a a public speaker, uh, a sales coach, a personal coach. He's one of these guys that's almost like a professional cheerleader and really helps people change their frame of thinking, um, gives them motivation, um, shares with them strategies to overcome obstacles in their life. I think he's a special guy. Um, And he um, had this quote, and I think this is great. And it's kind of related to some of the things we're talking about on this podcast. He says, in your life, where are you not making mistakes? Sometimes if there's no mess, there's no change happening. Like, wow, that's a good thing. You know, um, if, if you're not, making mistakes, if you're not creating a mess, if you're not, if, if, if things are just a little bit in disarray, that just might mean that you're growing and that you're trying new things and you're breaking out of comfort zones. You're breaking out of ruts. And he's right. If you're not making a little bit of a mess, then nothing is changing. Then you're still stuck. And that's part of what we talked about with this gig economy. It helps people get unstuck. It gives people new opportunities to develop additional streams of income. 
And that is so empowering to people. And um, I, I think it's something that really should be strongly encouraged and greatly embraced. So Brendan Burchard, in your life, where are you not making mistakes? Sometimes if there's no mess, then there's no change happening. And you know what? The Padres are messy right now, too, but they're pushing for change, and I, I like what they're doing. I was talking to a guy tonight. We were, I was saying, I think the Padres finally have good ownership, and I think A.J. Preller, he's made a few mistakes along the way, but he's making positive change overall, and you can't make every, every decision cannot be perfect. You're going to make some good ones and some bad ones. You learn from the bad ones, but you can't move forward unless you're willing to take those risks and make those changes and live with a little bit of mess in that process as you transition from good to great. And um, so, yeah, this applies to the Badres. It applies to gig economy. It applies to anything. So it's a great quote from Brendan Burchard. So I invite you to look him up. Um, I think he's a good guy. And um, he's a little bit at first, the first time I engaged and listened to him, I thought he was sort of naively optimistic. And initially he comes off that way. But once you listen to him a little more, you understand there's a great depth into what he's doing. Um, and he's a kind of a guy that can help people change their lives for the better. So Brendan Burchard, great guy. Okay. I've been rambling long enough. This podcast is going on way the heck too long. Uh, this is episode number 88 of the John Riley Project. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Have a safe Halloween, and we'll see you later. Bye-bye, friends.